Good morning, my name's Catherine and I'm a member of the church. So today's reading is from Ephesians, it's chapter 4, and it's on page 1175, starting to read at verse 7, we're ending at verse 16. So Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Great. If you can keep that passage open uh, on page 1175, that'd be brilliant. Um, We're in a series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, to churches clustered around this city of Ephesus, And it's a very important series uh, at the moment. This is God's word to us at this time, and we pray that God would speak to us uh, through this series as we listen to him. Um, In my first 10 years of life, I grew up in the town of Chelmsford in Essex. And um, as a very little boy, I made friends with the dustman. And um, I used to look at this dustman who was my hero, and um, I said to him, when I grow up, I want to be a dustman too. And my mum was there, and uh, the, the kind fella looked at me and looked at my mum, and he said, well, it can be a bit of a rubbish job. <laughs> um, but he said... Um, He said, I'm sure your lad will grow out of it, he said. Um, But what this this world most needs is grown-up churches and grown-up Christians. We see some examples of great uh, maturity right now in churches in Ukraine and the surrounding region, all they're doing for the people of God there. But what is the church to be when it grows up? This is the topic that Paul is addressing in the second half of what we call chapter four in this letter. The the letter to the Ephesians really divides itself into two. We have doctrine and teaching in the first uh, three chapters, 
all about the gospel of God. And then in the, in the next half, we really have a section about what it means to live out the reality of this gospel. So God has called us all into a new life. And in the second half of Ephesians, Paul is going to talk about very nitty-gritty things. He's going to talk about truth-telling and lies. He's going to talk about bearing with difficult people. He's going to talk about anger and sex and our work ethic and relationships. But the section we're looking at today, the focus is really, even though we have this new life of the Trinity within us, when we become Christians, we live in immaturity unless we embrace the church. When we're born again by the Spirit of God, we're born spiritual babies. And babies, infants are alive, and that's important, but we're not meant to stay an infant. And there are actually three marks, I think, of infancy that we see in the chapter. In in verse 14, it says, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. In other words, like, like real babies, we're not naturally discerning. Babies can't discern between food and poison. You put, you put it in front of them, and they put everything in their mouths. And unless you and I really know our way around the Bible, we, we, we're a spiritual infant, not naturally discerning. We need the church as a whole to help us to grow in discernment. Spiritual babies are also very self-centered. The beginning of the chapter, verse 2, Paul says, "'Be completely humble and gentle.'" Be patient and bear with one another in love. Physical babies are very self-centered. And spiritually, similarly, spiritual babies are always feeling slighted and self-conscious, annoyed at people, absorbed with themselves. And then babies have a very short attention span. Actually, Owen did a good job this morning. But, But generally, infants need sparks and lights and action or they get bored and upset. And spiritual infants can be similar. So folks, don't be shocked at how people can be immature, even in a church. Every church is filled with, spiritually speaking, poopy nappies. Yeah, actually, literally, at East Site, we're literally filled with poopy nappies. But we're not supposed to stay there. We all start as babies. We're not supposed to stay there. So the purpose of the church is to help us all mature and grow together spiritually. We're going to divide our time into two, and we're going to look first at verses 7 to 14 and see that maturity comes as we value and receive Christ's gifts to us. So in verses 1 to 6, Paul has talked about the unity of the church, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. You're all one in Christ. Now he starts to talk about the diversity of the church. As Nick said, each Christian is not an exact replica of the other. And not just because we're from different cultures and backgrounds, as we are here wonderfully at Above Bar Church. Uh, Church is not meant to be 
boringly monotonous because we have charismata, we have gifts. The whole church is a charismatic movement because to every single member, God has given gifts to bless the church. And we see in this passage in verse 7 to 8 that the giver of the gifts is the ascended Jesus. Look at verse 7 here. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Let's unpack this. It's actually a quote, quotation from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is a psalm celebrating the sovereignty and power of God over all the kingdoms of the earth. But you know, the great event that celebrated the sovereignty and victory of God in Christ Jesus was Christ's ascension, his ascension. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended to the Father and took his throne, and he hasn't moved. He's still on the throne. And at the right hand of the Father, he administers gifts to his church. The spoils of victory that he has won through his death and his resurrection. Now, at the time, Paul writes as well, Roman triumphs were a spectacle that celebrated military victories. They reenacted victories and gave an opportunity for all the people in Rome, say, to glorify their military hero. Every Roman commander wanted to have a kind of triumph. You can see it on the coinage of Rome, these triumphal processions. And the spoils of war would lead the procession, and then would come the military commander dressed in his toga, and he would celebrate his victory. And sometimes he would dish out the spoils of war, and the crowd would share in his victory. A modern equivalent, perhaps, is when a side wins the FA Cup, and there is an open-top bus through the town. Only three more matches for Saints to repeat that feat in 2022. Here it is. This is Southampton. What was the year? 76. The whole town comes out and shares in the celebration. Now, a couple of times in Paul's letters, uh, Paul imagines Jesus Christ leading a triumphal procession, and he has loot to share out. He has gifts, the spoils of war to share out, to bless his church. Then we read on. Let's read on uh, verse 9. What does he ascended mean, except he also descended to the lower regions, earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. His descent refers to his incarnation. It's a reminder to us that in order to purchase these gifts, Jesus came down to us. And he went down and down and down for us. Such is the depth of his love that he went down, as it were, to be crucified as a criminal on a Roman cross in order to purchase the gifts that he now dispenses to his church. We see next that the ascended Jesus gifts his church with teachers. 
So verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. So we we actually have five lists in the New Testament where Paul talks about gifts that have been given out. This is the very shortest list. Uh, There's maybe four or five gifts here mentioned. I think his emphasis here is on the essential gifts of teaching and leadership. Now, there's some disagreement among good Bible teachers about whether all of these gifts are ongoing or whether some of them are foundational. In other words, were for the first century church. For example, apostles. Christ himself gave the apostles. Greek word apostolou means sent ones. And so, in one sense, we are all apostles. We are all sent out. But is Paul here referring to the apostles with a capital A? This is the distinctive group of the 12 and possibly a few others who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection and were responsible for writing the New Testament. Or is it an ongoing gift to the church? In that case today, apostles would be those with entrepreneurial gifts with driven gifts that enable people to plant churches and to start them. Missionaries, people with entrepreneurial gifts. I have to say, I'm not entirely sure whether Paul's talking about an ongoing gift or a foundational gift. Maybe it's both. What about prophets? A prophet is a mouthpiece of God, someone who speaks the words of God. There are many people who think that Prophecy is really Bible teaching. Uh, Is Paul referring to Old Testament prophets? Is he saying that God has gifted those to to write the New Testament and the Old Testament? Or is he referring to those who taught authoritatively in in the first century along with the apostles? Or is he talking about an ongoing gift for the church today? There are definitely people with a prophetic gift in the church today. That is, those who are particularly gifted at bringing current applications to God's people today, who have a particular sensitivity to hearing from God and to explaining in their teaching current applications that apply right today into people's personal circumstances. It could be that. Evangelists is an ongoing gift. Although this noun evangelist is only used three times in the New Testament, the verb to evangelize is used much more often. But all Christians need to, as Peter says, give a reason for the hope that is within them and be able to point people to Jesus. But there is a particular gift that some have of engaging those who are not Christians and a particular gift of simply explaining the good news of Jesus to those who are not Christians and leading them to Jesus and then training others also to do that as well. Then there are pastors and teachers. John Stott, who's a very reliable Bible teacher, says, oh, this is one role. It's, it's, it's one word, if you like, pastor-teacher, because... Uh, those who are shepherds are called to look after the flock and tend the flock 
in particular by feeding the flock uh, with Bible teaching. I'm not sure. There are definitely people who are gifted at shepherding and tendering and pastoring who are not so gifted at teaching, and there are people who are really gifted at teaching who are not so gifted at the, the shepherding and pastoring, so I'm not sure. But clearly at this time, uh, in the church, in Above Bar Church, where John has made known to us a new call on his life, we're in a transition, and we particularly need to ask the ascended Christ to provide for us here these kind of gifts, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and these sort of apostolic entrepreneurial gifts uh, because we still want to be reaching others who do not know Jesus Christ. Sometimes I get very insecure about my own gift of teaching. Sometimes I think, oh, we'd, you know, the people here, they don't need any more teaching. But I'm corrected by this passage. I see here that building up God's church through teaching is an essential ministry in helping us grow up and become mature. When we become mature, we recognize sound teaching and we yield to it and we allow it to build us up. And we also recognize unsound teaching and we want to identify and raise up those who have the gifts of teaching. I would say both men and women, but we'll address that issue another time. But let's pray and work towards the raising up of teachers among us at Bav Bar Church. We see, though, very clearly in the passage in verse 12 that the purpose of all these gifts here is to equip his people for works of service. All of us have ministries, all of us have gifts, all of us have a role, and all of us need to be released and equipped by the leaders of the church. So then the purpose of our Sunday gatherings is mainly that we be strengthened and encouraged, all of us, in our personal walk with God so that we can be bolstered to serve him in our ministries, that is, our workplaces, our homes, our uh, interactions that we have with people every day, Monday to Saturday. It has been said that big churches can be like a football match where there are hundreds on the sidelines needing exercise and 22 players needing a rest. But, but Paul says that it's the ministry of all God's people that builds up the church in unity and maturity and diversity. And these leadership gifts are really to equip and identify and release people in that objective. Maybe we've fallen short recently in terms of training and equipping at above par, the pandemic has not helped. But I know we need to train more our, our home group leaders, our service leaders, those who work at GSMA, our youth teams, our international teams, our preachers, etc., etc. So would you pray for us to have greater creativity and capacity to equip all God's people for works of service? One uh, training course that we do have at above bar church is called Formation School. Uh, that course has trained now 177 students. It's a year-long course. Uh, praise God uh, for that course. But under this point, maturity comes by receiving and valuing Jesus' gifts 
we remember that it's the ascended Christ that gives these gifts. That gifts of teaching are pretty diverse in the different ways that we teach. And the purpose of those gifts is to equip everybody for works of service Monday to Saturday. Secondly, we see in verses 13 to 16 that maturity comes through commitment to community. Jesus doesn't want our churches just to be really busy or really diverse. He wants us to grow in maturity. And so he, uh, Paul uses three similar phrases to make this point in verse 13. He says this, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So unity in the faith, becoming mature, attaining fullness, really means us all growing and having a shared understanding of who exactly God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And the closer and deeper our relationships get, the more we're going to grow in maturity, the more we're going to become like him and attain his fullness, because God is Trinity. God is a union in community. And the life of the Trinity that we have will only grow as we reflect his triune nature in community. So if you want to become more mature and attain his fullness, it really only happens when the life of the Trinity is reflected in a life of community. And that means, basically, that just dropping in on church every now and again isn't going to help you that much. There needs to be discipline and commitment to his people. Otherwise, verse 14, the danger is we'll stay as infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. There are cunning people out there and there are cunning things out there to deceive us. A key for us as community and growing in maturity, which is really hard, is verse 15. This is a key practice for us as we grow. Growth comes by speaking the truth in love, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So this is what we need. This is the practice that we need to grow up and be more mature and Christ-like. We need to be in a community where there's honesty saturated with sweetness and the tenderness of love. I felt this week, whoa, my words are going to have extra weight and I'm trying to, even now, speak the truth saturated with, with tenderness and sweetness, as it tells me, to do here, but we need this even much more on a relational level, and this is much harder and harder to find. A few years ago, when, when I lived in Chiang Mai, it's so hot uh, that if you want to do exercise, you, you have to do it really before 7.30 in the morning, or it's just so, so hot. So we had a running group. Uh, we would meet at six. We would run uh, a bunch of men. And then we would have breakfast at a Swiss cafe. And um, we would get a big loaf of bread and we would share communion, lovely Swiss bread. Uh, 
Um, but in that group for five years, I knew I was really accountable. I, I knew if I fell short and screwed up that week, people would really ask me searching questions about that week. But these guys would speak the truth in love. They were mature guys. And what I've observed in my own Christian life is that love without truth is kind of deadly because we can't really know ourselves unless someone with another eye can tell us things and, and mentors us, really. But when truth is as cold as a fish and not loving, it drives people away and they're not going to listen. You drive them further. And people then entrench themselves in irreconcilable positions. So love without truth does not accomplish love. And truth without love does not accomplish truth. We're all different. Some people are nice and agreeable, and some people are, are direct. And all of us struggle to keep them together. The reason I don't tell the truth sometimes is because of fear and pride. And then there are people who like to tell the truth, um, but are, are wanting really to demonstrate who's right. You like winning arguments, or you like showing off how much you know. So truth without love is not really concerned with the other person. It's just really concerned with you. Now, none of us is, is able, really, to hold these things in balance, in the balance we need. What's the solution? We need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and he is the personification of both truth and love. He descended to us because of truth and love. The truth that all of us have fallen short and we are lost and we are broken and we need rescuing. And without him, we're lost forever. And he came to us because he loves us. He was slain for us because he loves us with an everlasting love. And until we can see the truth that we're lost and broken, we can't really receive his love. But until we see the magnitude of his love, maybe we won't accept that we're lost and broken. But if we do see both, if we do see truth and love in Jesus Christ, and if we do understand it, and we do start to take it in, and we do start to root and ground ourselves in that love and truth, it humbles us so that we can begin to speak the truth with love. When we really embrace him who is truth and love, we can start to become mature and a community where speaking the truth in love, we're no longer infants. We're growing up into him who is the head and we're working together, verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. When you, um, when you bowl a cricket ball, every part needs to do its work. The head leads, actually. And you bowl using every part of the body. Or when you serve in tennis, again, the head leads and the whole body does its work. And similarly, when we serve in a community, 
as a gospel church, declaring the truth in love, we need to do it together as a whole body, as each supporting ligament grows in maturity and does its work. So in conclusion, folks, we need to have a desire not to stay where we are in our Christian lives, but to mature. Sometimes that growing process can be two steps forward and one step back. That is what it is like. But we need to grow by identifying and exercising our personal gifts that God has given to us. And there will be what's called a network uh, course running soon in the church on Wednesday evenings where this is a course to help you to identify the gifts that God has given you and to talk about them and to begin to exercise them. And next week, we'll learn a little bit more about what this commitment to our community entails. But my time has run out.